Welcome to Primetime Conversations. Here's your host, James Tunstall. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. And today, I've got a very special guest, someone who's opened many doors for me at the start of my podcasting career, especially in the wrestling world. Uh, The one and only Mr. Simon Rothstein. Simon, how are you doing today? Oh, good to see you, James, mate. Yeah, it's, it's funny being the person on the podcast rather than just the one listening in the background telling you not to ask dodgy questions. So it's nice. <laughs> I try my best. I, I, I think I remember that first. I was so nervous. Uh, I think my first one was with Ace Austin and then Deonna Perazzo. And I was like super nervous. But uh, eventually I kind of I like to think I grew into it eventually. But yeah, you've always been there to me and you opened a lot of doors for me. And yeah, it's led on to so much in my short podcasting career. Yeah, no, I think you do great from the very from the very start. I thought your interviews were great. Everyone's always nervous the first couple of times, but you wouldn't have known it. So yeah, no, I think you guys do a great job. That's why I'm pleased to be on it. Pleased for you to grill me tonight. Yeah, uh, we'll start off something a little bit fun. I know you're a big, massive uh, Arsenal fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was a, I was a bit disappointed. I'm a Liverpool fan, so I was a little bit disappointed last week's result because like you had a man sent off, and I'm like, wow, we couldn't capitalize on that. Yeah, I mean, I've thought it was very strange you know 10 men against Liverpool at Anfield I really thought you were going to smash us but it was a great performance by us um I've got tickets for the second leg in two days time but there are now rumors just before we started this chat I was checking Twitter and there's rumors that that game might be called off now so I hope not because I've got tickets at this point you just want to get the games done but yeah I think we're having a good season I mean I don't think we're we're on the same level as Chelsea or Liverpool and certainly not Man City but I think we're having a good season Arteta's getting it right you've got to trust the process um but it is strange us letting out all these players on loan and then cancelling games because we haven't got a full squad. But also, it upset a lot of Spurs fans. So, you know, yeah. I think it was a good thing. Yeah, I mean, if you just want to delay the game till like February when we get Salah and Mane back, you know, I would appreciate that because without them, we're a little bit toothless. I mean, I'm thankful we got the win against Brentford yesterday. But yeah, there's a big drop in quality when Salah's not playing for us. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, when they're away, Brentford are the sort of teams that you want to be playing. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, right. So we're talking about your advertising career. So um, how did you get into it? Is it something you always wanted to do growing up or is it just something that spared the moment? So I was I was originally a journalist. So my background was, um, like a lot of people, went to school, went to uni, didn't really know what I wanted to do. But While I was at uni, like my hobby was writing for the student newspaper. I had a show on the student radio station, you know, long before podcasts were a thing, because I'm now in my early 40s. So before people knew what podcasts were, we used to have radio stations. I think there are still a few of them. Um, We used to have a student radio station. I had my own show on it, like a panel show. Um, Different people would come in, we'd have a topic of the day. Um, You know, nowadays that might be Boris partying or what's happening with immigration or something. We'd have couple of people on both sides and my my job was to try and keep the peace and get some information out of them so I just really loved it and I just thought that that was a good hobby of mine but I thought you know I can't actually become a journalist because I don't know any journalists my parents aren't journalists I didn't know how to get in so I was doing economics and politics course and I was thinking of going you know into the finance industry or something like that which again is a, a very hard one to get into but um at that point, someone, a friend of mine, Jonathan, who'd left school just before, who'd left school and not gone to uni and gone straight into journalism, he'd done really well for himself. He got himself a job on our local paper. And then at that point, he was working on the Sun's website. So firstly, I thought, well, if this guy that I went to school with can do it as a friend of mine and he didn't have any connections, then I can certainly do it. And secondly, I now had a connection that was him. So oh, yeah. I um, 
out of university, I applied for jobs in the sort of media world. And <clears throat> my first job was on the Guardian's website. They just launched a website. It was a great time to be, be want to be a journalist because all these new, all these uh, traditional media outlets had launched websites and were looking for sort of young tech savvy people to come and work on them. So there's a lot of doors opening that maybe aren't open so much now. They're fully staffed. But at that time, it was a really good time. Um, Guardian just launched a website and they needed someone, not a journalist, but someone to come what they called user help. So my job there, I applied to successfully got the job, and my job there was to help people navigate the website. So people would write in with problems and I'd help them with it, and also to moderate the talk boards. Um, as you can imagine on any sort of forum, the early days of social media, there was a lot of moderation to be done, and I was a sort of judge of that. So I really enjoyed that job, and I got to sort of see and work alongside the journalists. Again, it was people, people just like me. I thought, well, I can do this. So I spoke to the Guardian and said I wanted to do the course, um, which is called the NCTJ for any listeners, and it's still going for any listeners that are out there that are interested. And I could do a fast track one because I already had my degree. And the idea was on Fridays you could go and do work experience somewhere. And they said, that's great, we'll back you. You don't need to come and do work experience with us because we know you, but if you're looking for a job at the end of it, there could be one here, which was fantastic. Uh, meanwhile, I got some experience on my local paper and also at the Sun's website through my friend who'd been working there. You know, and I love working at Sun. I like yourself, James. I love entertainment. I love celebrity. I love film. I love music. Um, so I did my work experience there, got to know them really well. You know, one of my first ever things was, those days again there was so much opportunity online because it was just booming and very short staffed so yeah. I got that someone was sick and I said do you want to go and interview the lighthouse family today it's like great okay I'll go and interview the lighthouse family you know on my second or third day again like you really nervous um do I want to go next one do I want to go and interview Mystique and um can't say those early interviews I don't even think they still exist anymore um but if they did I can't say they're probably the finest thing you're ever going to read but it gave me sort of a, a passion for it and just got lucky the the lady that was the showbiz online showbiz editor at the Sun's website at that point um, had just been poached by the paper just as I was finishing my course. And the editor sat me down and said, look, do you want to come in, trial basis, see how you get on doing a bit of showbiz because Jackie who is moving to the paper. So I said, great. And then from there on, just sort of, you know, my, my view was work hard, be the first one in, you know, be the first one to offer to make cups of tea, be the first one to cover a story, be the first one to send ideas. Try and always be the last one to go, you know, make sure you're, you know, probably not great, great advice for people's mental health, but make sure you always try to check the site, make sure you're always on call, you know, just trying, just trying to get ahead, really, um, just try and impress. And I did impress, which was really good. Um, and eventually I was made online showbiz editor, then I moved up and I was sort of second in command of the Sun's website. And I was also working the bizarre column on the paper which is still going fantastic column i worked for victoria newton then gordon smart and even edited that some sundays so there's some sundays where that bizarre column even if it had someone else's picture and it was edited by me so that was i mean that was career goals really you know i ticked so many boxes at that point i got to go to all the music festivals all the film premieres i remember going to the family guy premiere in la Wrestling, which we're both big fans of, and I know a lot of your listeners are fans of, was a big part of that as well, because all throughout my career there, I wrote the wrestling column for the website um, yeah. and got some stories in the paper as well. And again, that was something that it was my passion. And I said to them, you know, I know there's not a wrestling job here, but, you know, in my lunch break, can I write about wrestling? Can I go and do these things? And then they, they said yes. And they saw the hits it got. It was, and I believe probably still is after football, their second biggest traffic section throughout the I year of the 
of the sports. Yeah. I mean, obviously something like Wimbledon or the Rugby World Cup will get a hit that time, but consistently the wrestling, as you know, you know, you see how much traffic it does wrestling. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, I know from our conversation, when you get a wrestler on your podcast, you get tons of figures. If you had a cricketer on, you probably wouldn't. And it's strange because cricket's the, the one of the country's top sports, but wrestling is slightly popular. Yeah. And there was, you know, sad, you know, sadly, a wrestler may pass away and we'd do a tribute and that would get as many hits as say something like when Heath Ledger sadly passed away. So there was a real thirst for it. I felt I really proved myself there. Um, that's not really answered your question, how I got into PR and social media, but that's how I started my career in media in general. Um, and then, yeah, should do we talk a bit now about how I sort of made that jump, which is a bit of a um, change. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, before we jump on there, I mean, uh, being a journalist, it's interesting. And um, it's a two-way sword. There's a lot of respected journalists, and then there's journalists what's outright hated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I won't name names. But uh, what's been... You said you've done a lot of these traveling and interviewing people, but when you was like, I suppose, in the newsroom, I suppose you could say, what was some of like, for example, someone's like, right, I've got the scoop, I've got this real big story, and all of a sudden they got left on the egg for their face. Was there any uh, things like that, whatever happened? Yeah, we had a bit like that, and I was probably, I probably had that a couple of times happen to me. You can't go through a career somewhere like the sun or not. I mean, I was speaking to a, my friend I've mentioned before the other day about. I'm glad I wasn't a tabloid journalist today in the world of Twitter because I imagine it must be a nightmare, yeah. uh, you know. And, you know, I think when I was, you know, most of my things were writing about music, film. It wasn't sort of the down and dirty door knocking type of tabloid journalism. But, I mean, you can see because there have been some bad stories over these, you can see why places like The Sun and other tabloids can get a bad reputation. But like everything on social media, that's exaggerated and journalists are personally attacked. And, yeah, I don't think... I would want to do that now. Uh, so, yeah, so it sounds like you had a great career in it. So what made you want to do the jump and start SRX and do your own thing? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. So there's a there's a few reasons. Firstly, um, you know, the heyday, I came in towards the end of the heyday of journalism. Um, by the time I'd been doing it about 10 years, it was a very different place. Um, you know, lots of people being made redundant. Not that, you know, I don't think my job was ever under threat, but I'd had to make members of my team you know, redundant or cut their hours, which I didn't, you know, no one really likes to do. Um, I felt that we weren't getting the right investment in stories. A lot of the websites, including the Sun that time, were going behind paywalls. So we were seeing our traffic drop by like 90% because obviously you're not giving it away for free anymore. People are paying for it. So a lot of things like that. Then also um, my daughter was being, my daughter, my wife was pregnant. My daughter was just about to be born. And that was a big thing to me, wanting to be at home a bit more. Like yeah, I say, yeah. my the way I work has always been trying to be the first one there, the last to leave, the first to put their hand up for stuff. And that is the culture of newspapers. Everyone's like that. It's not a nine to five job. And um, even though what I do now is a nine to five job, I'm my own boss. If I want to take the kids to school, I take them to school. I mean, we just interrupted this chat so I could sort, sort the yeah. stuff out for the kids. So exactly. And you can't you necessarily do that. So I wanted a better work-life balance. Um, there was that. And then there was the other, there was a wrestling opportunity came up. I was very close friends with Dixie Carter. I'd worked with her a lot, writing the wrestling firm, who was the president of what was then TNA Wrestling. Um, and I went to her and I said, look, TNA Wrestling is getting really good. It was just before Hulk came, but it was when AJ was there, Joe was there. I, I think Angle just come in. So look, you're getting great publicity. We're covering you a lot of the sun because you and I have a personal relationship, but it's all these other outlets in the UK that you could really tap into, but you just haven't got someone over here. And your team, 
one or two people you've got in the US are already busy doing the whole of the US and North America. So give me a go. And again, she said, okay, come on for a three month trial basis. We'll send someone over from media to see how you get on. That person they sent over was Ric Flair, the nature boy. So I mean, you know, it's like a slam dunk, isn't it? So we got him, um, you know, in the sun, the mirror, the star on talk sport. Um, I think Sky Sports Radio, all these great places, and they were really impressed. And they came on board as SRX's first um, PR and social media client. So, yeah, Ric Flair was your first one. So, uh, what a way to start off. Mm. Yeah, no, so that was, I mean, Nature Boy coming over, and then it just went on from there. You know, I've got to work with, you know, do media tours over here with, you know, Kurt Angle, Hulk Hogan, Mick Foley. Ken Anderson, I mean, so many names. I mean, we could be naming them all day, um, obviously. So the pandemic really sort of has changed it a bit. Um, everything's done on Zoom, as we've been doing, James, with our interviews, which are great. I get to meet people over Zoom, get to, you know, the interaction is good, but there's nothing like, you know, I'd love if Sammy Callahan or Rosemill or, you know, any of our top talents, Matt Cardona, Moose, any of our top talents could come over here and, you know, I could take them around for three, four days, you know, visit people like you do. Often we'll get like a hotel room, do like interviews back to back, and I'll take them to talk sport or to the sun or wherever. And it's really, really, really good. The, the talent love it. And I, I really miss that. I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Um, and then, yeah, so Impact Wrestling was my first was my first client and my first foray into the PR world. Cool. And uh, you mentioned you was a wrestling fan growing up. So one of the big things, and we've spoken about it privately, like the Maximum Impact tours they used to do, uh, it was like a lifetime ago now, especially for yourself. But they were so popular in the UK. I don't think people understand. There was even talks at one point that TNA should just move to the UK in general because it was so popular over here and it was on Challenge TV every week and it was getting like stupid numbers. The numbers were so good. Um, I would imagine you had quite a few fun stories like guiding the talent on these uh, impact tours. Yeah, I mean, the talent absolutely loved them. Absolutely. Because they would come over to the UK have you know 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 people at shows, massive queues around the block for autograph signings, even like on random, you know, we would have you know Magnus in a toy shop in Wolverhampton and we'd have hundreds of people turn up for a signing. It's amazing. It was just like the height of it was just a perfect storm of we were on Challenge TV, which was on Freeview, whereas WWE, who was the obviously number one at the time and still is, they were on Sky Sports, so you have to pay a subscription. So we had loads of viewers, you know, often what I found was that our signings and our events, alongside the hardcore wrestling fans like you and I both are, the lifelong ones, there were just lots of families, lots of kids, people who just watched it on Challenge TV that like they might watch The Voice or Strictly Come Dance or something like that. So it was a totally different fan base. And I think the wrestlers also like that because the reactions were more genuine. You know, the faces and heels could be proper faces and heels. You weren't trying to cater to smart audience that have seen everything a hundred times. But then, I, you know, it was just the most, we did fan parties and that's where the real sort of smart fans came, the fan parties, they were great. You would literally come and have a drink at the bar with Spard or Jeremy Borash. Or I remember Dixie did one and fans asked her questions live. It's just, you know, they were absolutely fantastic days. And unfortunately, obviously, um, the popularity of TNA did wane a little bit. Um, don't need to cover old ground, but people know why. And then just as we build it back up, the pandemic's hit. So for about three, four years, we've been able to do anything. Yeah, I wasn't, I can, it's uh, this, it's we still got a lot of restrictions in place this year, but I would imagine in twenty twenty three, that's one that goes to hopefully bring impact over for a tour. I mean, I would hope so. I'm not responsible for those sort of decisions, but I would love so. I mean, 
what we did last time we were able to tour was it wasn't so much a tour but it was a show at the media con in manchester i don't know if you remember that one where we did a tna versus uk show and actually yeah. got um sammy callahan versus jimmy havoc um, and then you got, I think it was LAX versus Jody Fleisch and Johnny Storm. So actually, for for fans like you and I, there were dream matches on that. Um, I think Lana Austin against, I can't remember who it was, but whoever our knockout champion was at the time, she got these dream UK versus US matches. That actually, a lot of fans prefer than just seeing a regular episode of Impact. So that may be something we can do as well. Um, I'm dead excited. I remember I've got this really clear memory of doing one of the tours um, what we would do is we'd bring over a major talent, I think in that case it may have even been Hulk Hogan for three, four days beforehand, which I do the media tour. Then I go on the tour at the arenas, would have sometimes up to like a hundred journalists and their guests at the tours, you know, all of those were okay after parties. And I remember we just finished the Wembley after party on the last night and walking through an empty Wembley arena, we've done it. This has been the most amazing experience. I'd love to experience that definitely. So I think you'll find the people that want to tour the UK most and not even the fans that want it, but it's up to work for impact. We we badly want it. But let's see what happens with the pandemic. Let's you know, it's expensive times, so let's check the demands there. You know, there's even more competition in the wrestling marketplace than ever, but I'd love to do it. Yeah, I mean, every wrestler I've spoke to, I've spoken to a fair few now. Every single one of them always says how much they love the UK and tour in the UK. So I would imagine that and there's a lot of impact stars who's on the roster now who are I don't think he's even been to the UK even possibly. So yeah. I would imagine they're all excited to eventually come over. Um, but like we mentioned, the popularity of the UK TNA audience was so big that we even got our own show, British Bootcamp, which I absolutely yeah. loved there. Did you have much involvement in that? Yeah, British Bootcamp was brilliant. I mean, I had a lot of involvement in it. I was involved pitching the idea to Challenge TV originally, getting it green lit, working with Jeremy Borash on it. I even appeared in a couple of episodes. Um, helping sort of identify the talent. I mean, to be fair, jo Jerry Borash and Jeff Jarrett identified the talent they wanted for the first one, but I helped them work on that, um, help work with the talent and what they were doing. It was, you know, help find Rollable Rocco for it, who sadly since passed away. But one of my all-time great memories was working with Rollable Rocco, this absolute legend of British wrestling, on that show and watching how he interacted with the new generation. Yeah, I, you know, absolute career highlight working on British Bootcamp. And, yeah, and yeah, we got our wrestling fans got our own show about UK wrestlers. I think, I mean, with full respect to NXT UK and things other companies have done, I still think British Bootcamp stands head and shoulders as the best thing an American company's done with UK stars. Yeah, one of my earliest interviews now that feels like a lifetime ago, but I actually interviewed the, the Blossom Twins. Yeah. And uh, we spoke about British Bootcamp and how much fun that they had on it. And uh, it was, and uh, I mean, they had a good career afterwards. Uh, Rockstar Spuds obviously had a good career, and the other guy we can't really talk about too much. Um, but season two came about as well, and season two was even bigger. And besides Grado, I think everyone season two's went to w, uh, WWE one point or another. I know Rampage's on NXT UK, and a few of the others, and obviously um, Andrew, uh, Mark Andrews and stuff. So. You identified so much talent on British Bootcamp that they've all gone on to sign for WWE eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think those guys are so talented, they all would have done anyway. Or well, one sec. Right, cool. Should we do it? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that answer again. Yep. So... 
I think, yeah, I mean, all those guys and girls were so talented. I mean, Nikki Storm was another one that we had, Kaylee Ray, um, Dave Mastiff. I think they were all so talented. They all would have signed with the WWE eventually anyway. But I still get a sense of pride seeing things like, you know, Nikki Asher, she's now winning the winning their winning their title over there and stuff like that. But yeah, all those guys would have made it anyway. But again, just to work with all those talents was just the best. I mean, it was interesting. Again, with both seasons, the person we thought was going to win at the start didn't win. With the first season, we thought the Blossoms were going to win. They seemed to be, you know, the obvious TV ready. The WWE had the Bellas. The Blossoms were great. But then Spud just blew us away. And again, with the second season, everyone thought Grado was going to win. Grado was yeah. already a superstar. And Mark Andrews blew us away. So it was just interesting to work with the series to develop. My one regret was with British Boot Camp, with both series, I worked on the UK side. I was heavily involved in that. But once they left the US, that was it. The US guys took over. So I never got to be that part of the journey, which I do, do regret. But if you remember the second British Boot Camp, we actually did a show at York Hall, Bethnal Green. They did, yeah. We actually, the whole time show with all those matches that people then, the, the judges then voted on. It was just an incredible, incredible experience. I'm glad that you and other people and other fans remember it so fondly. And I think you can watch episodes on Impact Plus. So anyone listening to this that hasn't seen it yet, check it out on Impact Plus. And if you're if you're a fan of myself, which I don't think anyone is, you might see me pop up. <laughs> I've watched it, obviously, now that I know you. I'm like, uh, what are you I'm going to have to go back and rewatch him now. I'm thinking, oh, there's Simon. But um, no, it was great. And for some reason, wrestling and uh, reality TV always seems to work. Obviously, British Boot Camp, WWE back in the day was like Tough Enough and things like that. It always seems to be a good mix. And... Um, Obviously, one of the things that happened a couple of years ago was uh, World of Sport as well, and that seemed to be having a good run, but unfortunately, that didn't work out. But no, it's all been good, and yeah, Impact Wrestling going forward, fingers crossed we can finally get over this pandemic, which I think, like, not to get too political, but we can get political. It's my podcast. I can talk about whatever I want. Um, I, I think eventually, it's just going to be something we're just going to have to live with, like the flu, eventually. I think, don't get me wrong, a lot of people at the start died, unfortunately, and some people still are, but it's nothing compared to the rates of, say, the flu. Uh, the flu is 10 times worse, but I think the original strain, yeah, it was terrible, but I know the Omicron variant is a lot less deadly, but it's just more transmissible. But, yeah, it's just been crazy how much that's affected the UK. And, like, when we first went to lockdown, I was like, well... I couldn't really, really believe. I actually just finished uh, doing a job. I was on my way home, and it was like going like uh, 28 days later. The streets were just empty. <laughs> yeah, it has been so nice. Something out of one of those post-apocalyptic movies, hasn't it? But yeah, hopefully, like you say, we're moving on. We're getting through it, and yeah, no, live wrestling can return, and we can, you know, and there are some shows coming back, and I suggest every. I know Progress are back in town, and they always do great shows. And we worked with them a lot in the early days with British Bootcamp. They're our partners on it. You know, they very kindly let us come and film at their shows. I remember Spud getting a getting a fantastic heel reaction there. So, you know, there's other shows for people to check out. But, you know, as soon as we can come back, we want to. Well, imagine Spud, obviously, you work with him British Bootcamp. And obviously, he's time and impact. I would, now that he's available again, I would imagine he's someone you would love to see back in impact wrestling. Yeah, again, I don't make those decisions, but I love Spud. I think he's one of the he's got one of the best minds for the business that I've ever met, and I knew that from the second I met him. He's got this incredible mind for the business, and yeah, he'd be an asset to any company. I'd I'd love to work with him again. I'd love to have him do it. Love to listen to him do an interview with you, for example, and just listen to what he has to say about the business. And uh, as a 
fan out, I suppose you could say, looking outwards, looking in. Um, obviously, one of the big things for Impact last year was the partnership with AEW and Kenny Omega becoming champion. And I, uh, I remember when <laughs> I actually messaged you the day after he won the AEW title and said we was going to show up at Impact. I'm like, you know anything about this? He's like, no. Nope. <laughs> um, what was your overall thoughts on the partnership? And do you think it could have been handled a bit better? Because my... If I had to nitpick at it, and the one thing that did disappoint me, I know he dropped the title to Christian, which we all love Christian, and he dropped it to Alexander, or Moose cashed him, essentially. My biggest sticking point was that Omega didn't drop it straight to an Impact wrestler. Right, I mean, that's interesting. First off, to say to pick up on your initial thing, when you text me and I didn't know, I honestly don't know. I mean, with decisions like that, that are going to be a surprise... They keep it so tight. I mean, you don't see much leaking out of the Impact Wrestling at all. You used no. to in the day. In the day, someone had a burrito rather than a sandwich for lunch, and it would be all over the dirt sheets. But now it's very, very tight. Right? Nobody knows. I didn't know. Um, I like how it went. I always trust the process. I think the way it paid off and how Moose has become this massive hill out of it and how Josh Alexander has really sort of come from a guy who was a tag team guy to next division guy to a main eventer. So we've made Josh Alexander as the main eventer. Moose is a, is a really fantastic heel. We had that great moment with Christian coming back, I think, for a lot of old school fans. You know, a lot of maybe more recent fans will, will think what you think. Yeah, Kenny should have dropped it to Moose directly. But I think a lot of old school fans love seeing Christian back in Impact for a run. You know, what a lot of people wanted. We love that program with Josh. And I think you couldn't have done that program with Josh and Omega. It worked well with Josh and Christian. I think the payoff with Moose. Again, a lot of people didn't like it at the time, but now it's growing on them. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts of uh, Mickey James, the Knockouts champion? Ten uh, looks like she's coming up at the Rumble. Again, I found out when you did. I, I, brilliant, brilliant for us. You know, I think she said she might come out to her hardcore country music, might come out with a belt. I think it. You know, the forbidden doors open. I mean, that's the one thing I'll say about the AEW Impact storyline. I mean, I really liked it. I know some fans like yourself have got certain criticisms of it, but the forbidden doors now a thing. I mean, Tony Khan's got that term over, hasn't he? You can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Mickey James in the Rumble, you know, Bullet Club are in Impact. Who's going to turn up elsewhere? It's just amazing. You know, Don Callis is now with Kenny and AEW. Anyone can turn up anywhere. And I think it's an exciting time to be a fan. Every show's must watch. And, you know, WWE are now going to have some, in fact, wrestling fans tuning into the Royal Rumble. So it's a win for them as well. Yeah, I think the most surreal moment for me watching Impact uh, last year was the, the Rock inducting uh, Ken Shamrock into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Amazing. Again, amazing. And again, that was on a call and they said this, you know, brief that this is going to happen, be ready for it. It happened. And, you know, Rock is someone that I never really worked with. I interviewed him once when I was at the Sun um, and he was a great guy. But again, that's one of, I'd probably one of a hundred people he spoke to that day as part of a, a press junket for a film he was doing. Um, but he, you know, he's a great guy and I'd love to, um, I'd love to love to work with him stone cold again when i was interested the sun was one of the greatest guys to speak to real passion for the business i remember once pre-wwe event we did a round table it was media from around the world and i was the only one who was really a fan everyone else was asking him questions about you know is it real does it hurt that sort of stuff and i can't remember i asked him do you think do you think they should have put over eddie guerrero in this match last week and he loved it and he wanted to speak for half an hour about who they should be putting over and didn't care about the other questions so you know i think as a wrestling journalist yourself wrestlers do appreciate people that are fans that that know the business you know they want to they want to speak about what they love like anyone does yeah i've um i think that's one thing that's helped me because i've been a fan since i can remember 
when I've interviewed wrestlers, I like to think that I know quite a bit about wrestling. And when I ask them something like, wow, well, even I didn't, even I forgot about that. I think they appreciate it when you have taken an interest in their careers and you've the time to do research on it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think people really do appreciate it. I think like if there's some tips for some people that want to be wrestling journalists or journalists generally or are just starting out, I think one of the things and we spoke about this briefly about the call is try not, you know, when I first started interviewing, I'd have a list of questions written out in front of me. I'd ask the question, they'd answer, I'd look down at the next one. And I mean, I think everyone does that when you start out, but actually being able to have free flowing conversations, see where it takes you is always much better. Always do your research. Um, I mean, I got caught out you know, never with wrestlers, but I got caught out a couple of times with maybe pop stars, wasn't that interested in pop music, didn't yeah. bother to research, and then you're in there and you can feel yourself curling up into a ball because you really don't know, you're really out of your depth. And I think especially, you know, maybe you've come into wrestling journalism because you're a WWE fan and you interview an impact talent, make sure you go and watch their matches, make sure you read up on them, you know, do all of that sort of stuff. Cool. Well, so we're down to the final segment of the show. So it's new segments, uh, prime time nine. So I'm going to ask you, your favorite topics and uh, you just basically tell everyone about yourself so we'll start off your favorite movie it changes all the time probably pulp fiction i think is just the classic of the genre but any tarantino movie the early kevin smith movies saw a great movie with my partner the other day ma rainey's black bottom which was apt i'd recommend that might of new movies or newish movies that's that's great i really recommend that um Bad Times at the El Real is good. I like those sort of highly stylized, really cool movies. Good soundtracks. Yeah, yeah I actually spoke to the lead singer, Burling for Soup, and his favorite movie was Pulp Fiction as well. Oh, there we go. He's in good company. I mean, it's a bit it's a bit of an obvious one, but it's just such a good movie. It's hard to look past it. Um, on the sort of thing you would expect me to say, Chicago, the musical, is an absolutely fantastic movie. So that's my secret pleasure movie. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> You've got to watch it. Brilliant. Uh, favorite song? That's another really difficult. It's difficult to have one. Probably people say it's not. It's difficult to have one favorite song. I want to kind of want to say "Bowling for Soup" now, but probably "In Bloom" by Nirvana. I think it's the first. I remember everyone at my school sort of humming it. It's the first sort of song that I liked that was proper, probably alternative. Was like my type of music. Awesome. Uh, favorite uh, city or town you've worked in? I mean, I love London. Probably New York. I think it's brilliant, but also Boston. I think Boston probably, if I had to work or live anywhere, Boston has this beauty of having some of the coolness of New York and some of the fun, but being much quieter. So you can actually walk down the street without bumping into 100 people. But I love London. I love where I live in Chelmsford as well. Cool. Uh, Favourite food? Favourite food? Chicken soup. Traditional Jewish chicken soup. Any Jewish listeners you've got will know what I mean. You can't beat it. I'd say my (laughs) mum's, but I think I've almost surpassed her. Yeah, awesome. Uh, favorite uh, video game? Mario Kart. Mario Kart. No, no. I mean, probably I've got. I've had FIFA faces. I've had Pro Evo faces. I've had Champman faces. But Mario Kart's the one I always come back to. And now my little boy's a gamer, so we play against each other. I can't say I win very much. Uh, I was going to say favourite sport, but I presume football. <laughs> yeah, football, one hundred percent football. And if you're counting wrestling, then they're tied. Yeah. Uh, favorite uh, fan experience for yourself? So fan moments. I would imagine a moment where you've been around the wrestlers, probably. Yeah, I mean, as a football fan, meeting Thierry Henry. I mean, yes. again, most of my fan moments have come via work. When I was at the Sun, I got invited to an Arsenal training event, and I got to meet Henry Vieira. So that was great. 
you know, like, I mean, going out for dinner. So we did an interview day with Hulk Hogan. And then I went out for dinner in the evening with Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff. We went to Gaucho, which is a lovely steak restaurant. Um, Andy Barton, who was Dixie's number two at the time. And Hogan and Eric, they really enjoyed the interviews that day. We had a couple of guys that were sort of big WCW fans from back in the day. They really enjoyed the interviews and they were just chatting about some of the questions they'd been asked and some of what they thought about different wrestlers they've worked with. And just to be there as a fan, listening to these two legends talking, you know, getting to go out with Ric Flair, all those sort of things. But just having the impact in the UK, just being there at the shows with, you know, and I always say this and it's the truth is that I look forward to seeing the journalists as much as the wrestlers. I'm looking forward to sitting next to you and seeing you, meeting your friends and family, watching the show with you, going around, meeting the other journalists as I am, seeing all the wrestlers again. So I just love it. We're all one big family. Cool. And final final one, uh, funniest story in your profession. Oh, funny story. I mean, this is really sad. I don't really, because I'm the sort of the PR guy, the professional guy, I don't really get involved in pranks and jinx and things like that. I honestly can't think of of anything, of anything. If I think of something, I'll text you later and you can, you can post it in. But just, I mean, I would say most special moment is those moments where we've really achieved something, where, you know, we've got some great coverage for a story or we've really had something great with the fans. Oh, one... I remember doing something with Kurt Angle. I mean, this is funny to charge right? I was doing something with Kurt Angle and he looked one way and I slipped on a Hulk Hogan mask. And he looked back and I said, hey, brother, and all that it was quite funny. Or I remember once when I was working with Ric Flair, we'd done quite a few interviews back to back. And he said to me, um, you you know, you know my story, you know my answers. Next next one's a phoner. Could you just do it for me? So the guy phones up and I said, hello, it's Ric Flair. And I didn't even try to change my accent. And for the first minute, the journalist thought he may actually be talking to Ric Flair until I said, oh, I'll put him on now, really. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Simon, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, but before we go, tell everyone about SRX, where they can find it and find you on social media. Oh, James, thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so SRX, I mean, we've got a number of clients. Impact Wrestling is probably the most interesting to talk about, especially with other guys that are fans. But I do a lot of um, work for different charities. I do some work in the Jewish community, a lot of business work. Um, the Essex Chambers of Commerce is one of our clients that do fantastic work connecting different businesses. And in fact, I've got a network meeting with them tomorrow morning. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Cy Rothstein, and we're on Instagram and uh, SRX Consultancy, and that's also our website address, srxconsultancy.com. Please look me up. Um, obviously, always available for PR and social media work, but I appreciate a lot of people listening to this will sort of want to get into journalism, maybe want to introduce some of our impact talent. So contact me through there, put you on the mailing list, and we'll see what we can do. Like you were saying earlier, James, managed to you know help you out at the start of your career with stuff, and I love sort of helping discover new talent. So that'd be fantastic. Awesome. And yeah, hopefully when... Uh... We get the shows all up and running. Yeah, we'll try and do this again in person next time. Brilliant. Yeah, hope so, mate. Thank you.